0: Welcome to Asia Rising, the podcast from Latrobe Asia, where we discuss news, views and general happenings from Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. China is home to one and a half billion people, many living in heavily industrialised cities, and with that comes a heavy burden of medical problems. The health system has a lot on its hands, and today's guest is well aware of the challenges that China faces. My guest is Martin Taylor, Team leader for health systems and health security at the World Health Organization, based in Beijing. And he joins me today to provide China with a health check.
1: The World Health Organization in China is very different in many ways to the World Health Organization in many of other countries where we have representative offices. Our role here in a country like China with strong human resource capacity and strong financial capacity in healthcare is a challenge for us to find our niche and our role but i think we can boil it down to three or four key areas that we focus on the first as the global health advocate is advocating for attention to neglected public health issues or public health issues that we feel are not getting sufficient attention so one of those for example in china at the moment is hepatitis treatment a second area that we work on is Working with the government on complex and difficult policy challenges and the implementation of them, where there's no easy solution, and where we can act as a bit of a bridge and bring in international expertise. And by being an independent and international organization, we can act as a bit of a, a neutral place for exchanging ideas and solutions. Mm. And one example of that at the moment is healthcare reform in China and the reform of the healthcare system, which is complicated in any part of the world a third key area is as the kind of global advocate of public health part of our role is to engage the population on health issues a classic example of that of work that we've done in recent years is on smoke-free public places Mm. um, and combating um, tobacco use and the work that our office did last year in supporting the beijing government introduce a smoke-free public place legislation and now working with the national authorities on that nationally the final area that we work on where we work quite closely with the health authorities is on mobilizing attention to health issues with people who lead in other sectors of government that have an impact on health Mm. Um, urban planning has such a huge impact on the health of the population and their ability to live a healthy lifestyle And so we can work with uh, the health authorities to mobilize what we're working on at the moment is healthy cities. So working with mayors at city level to make sure that health is addressed, not just in the health sector, but more broadly across local government. So those are the kinds of areas where we've identified that we can add some value and bring something Mm. to China because of our independent international role.
0: How receptive have the Chinese health authorities been to an independent organisation?
1: On the whole, they are very receptive. Not so much, I would say, because they see us as facilitating change. They are the leaders of Mm. the changes in their country. But they also see very clearly a role for an independent international voice on some of the issues and international experience. Two years ago, Premier Li Keqiang... Asked the World Bank and WHO, our heads, our global heads of agencies, to prepare a report with some advice and suggestions for the government on healthcare reform. That doesn't mean that the government will follow every single bit of advice that we give, but they know that that advice is given from a an international and credible perspective, mm. um, and I think that is a, a huge value for the government.
0: All countries face their own challenges when it comes to health but given china's population it must be particularly challenging to deal with what should it be prioritizing do you think that's a
1: very good question <laughs> and of course the the risk in that is that the issues that i don't list <laughs> become the ones that uh people pick up on but the two issues that we frequently work on in this office are the growing burden of non-communicable diseases and healthcare reform to strengthen primary healthcare in the community closer to the population. A large amount of this office's work falls under one of those two headings. The reason why we prioritise those, firstly, 80% of the avoidable disease burden in China comes from non-communicable
0: diseases. Can you talk me through that concept just a little?
1: What we're talking about there is not a, an old style disease burden that is about people getting infections from each other. Mm. It's a disease burden from lifestyles. So high levels of smoking, bad diet, insufficient exercise, are particular ones. So for example, in China, more than 50% of adult males smoke. These cause huge disease burdens now And increasing for the future. Mm. If you just look at the disease profile, that's where attention should be, following the statistics. It's also a huge challenge for a country like China, which has a healthcare system, which is very based around hospitals and acute emergency care. Because the long-term care of the chronic conditions that China is facing in the future is incredibly expensive in hospitals, and it's not necessarily needs to be done in hospitals. In fact, in many countries it is best managed and it can be as safe and uh, as high quality if it's managed from local community centres with emergency care when needed. Mm. And so that kind of combination of those two issues, the non-communicable diseases and the healthcare reform, are huge priorities for us because if the country is first of all going to treat and support the people in the future who have those long-term chronic conditions. They need a stronger primary healthcare system. Also, it would be unaffordable to try it in a hospital setting. Mm. So, in terms of the long-term sustainable financing of the healthcare system, there needs to be a stronger primary health care. And then finally, of course, we don't need to just accept that this high non-communicable disease burden stays, we should be doing and we are doing what we can now to reduce the burden for the future so that people are taking action now for their lifestyle so that they can avoid that disease burden in the future.
0: Can you give me some sort of idea where China falls in with, you know, vaguely speaking, the rest of the world? Is it one of the more challenging countries with more problems? Is it one of the, the least challenging countries?
1: That's a very good question.
0: Uh, in terms of the
1: overall global statistics, the disease burden for non communicable diseases is possibly slightly higher in China than some other countries. There is a, a challenge for China in terms of addressing it. For example, if you compare with other OECD, high-income countries, that already have well-established, highly-financed healthcare systems, adapting those systems may be a little bit easier than China, which is still increasing health expenditure, still building a system. Mm. On the other hand, that could actually be an opportunity for China because they may not get stuck with having to reform existing models. They can perhaps leapfrog, take advantage of new technologies to take healthcare away from healthcare settings sometimes. So there's a bit of both sides for China. Uh, One of the other challenges that China faces in this is that Within China there is such huge diversity and there are still Parts of the country where a more old-style infectious disease burden is still very high And there are still many counters in the country which are designated as poverty counters
0: Yeah, yeah, there must be such a, a big range of challenges across the whole country Depending on uh, the amount of urbanization going on I suppose. Yes. Can I ask you the World Health Organization's perspective and, and your perspective on the recent changes to the one-child policy. What do you think the effect of that will be on health in China, and do you think it will have an impact on population pressures here?
1: It's a, a very good question and one which has a lot of research yeah, yeah. going on right now, No pressure, uh, as you would expect. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it's worth stating that a change in population policy that gives families, and in particular women, more control over their fertility is a good move. So that shift from relaxing from one to two is a good step. The main area that we have focused on in the World Health Organization has been the preparedness of the healthcare system to deal with the extra and anticipated increase in births. Since the early 1990s, China Made huge progress in reducing maternal mortality. Mm. And they did that with some very targeted focus policies on encouraging women to deliver in hospital facilities where they could get the emergency care that they needed. And China was one of the first and most successful countries in the world in terms of achieving the Millennium Development Goal for maternal mortality. Now, it would be a, a tragedy if that began to be threatened because the healthcare system is not ready. Now, the government has actually recognised this, of course, and they have been doing their own planning and preparation, and we've been providing a bit of support on that, to try to make sure that there are sufficient facilities and staff to maintain the level of quality so that we don't see an increase in maternal mortality, and so that we don't see an increase in um, perinatal mortality as well, because we also don't want the, the babies being born mm. to suffer. So from a health perspective, the government has been planning for for a, a couple of years and a, a putting in place steps and measures to try to make sure that that doesn't happen and of course are monitoring quite closely at the moment because we're now seeing the first
0: implications i'd like to um, to change the topic now to the air pollution in china which seems to be a focus in uh, western media i think is one way to put it <laughs> so i was wondering what what your take on the air quality on in china is and in particular in beijing
1: yes and i can i can speak as a WHO staffer and as a resident of Beijing. First of all, air pollution is a health hazard in terms of the short-term health consequences, in particular in terms of respiratory infections and um, for long-term exposure, cancers and cardiac problems. And I think we should recognise that the government here has recognised that and they have done a lot in terms of policies in the last few years to begin to clamp down on polluting industry, to look at shifting um, power stations and sources, traffic, a number of of issues. And that should be congratulated. Um, Of course it may take some time for some of those to have a major effect and in the interim period people and cities need to do what they can to protect themselves when the air is bad. People do worry about it You only need to see on the days when the air quality is bad, the number of masks that are worn. It is a concern for people. I think for many people who live their whole lives in this situation, it's probably a bit different to the transient population like myself and other internationals who who are here for a number of years and know that their exposure is limited and then depart. In the time that I've been here now, in the last three years, I think I have seen improving air quality more frequent days when the air quality is good and the monitoring data that comes from the monitoring stations and which we can all follow on our apps on our phones backs that up. I also think it's an issue for which we all have to make our own judgments and weigh up pros and cons. For example, I do a lot of running here in Beijing and some people would say it's crazy to run in beijing Mm. um my view on that is that i i don't run when the air is bad i run when it's good and i get to run as regularly pretty much as i would like to occasionally i have to miss a run but my view is that also the the benefits of that outweigh the potential costs of a sedentary indoor lifestyle where you don't get the exercise and you don't get the the mental health benefits of it so i think it is an issue of concern for people in beijing and in other cities um but it, it may seem, alongside other issues that they're concerned about, perhaps not as high priority as, as for a, a Western visitor who sees it for the first time, perhaps.
0: Can I turn, lastly, the research efforts that are going on in China? And um, I believe, and you can correct me on this, that part of what the World Health Organization does is say, you can help out the rest of the world by doing this, or this area of the world can use your help with this, can I ask what you think uh, China's strengths are and what they've got to offer the world in their capacity to help?
1: There's no doubt that in China, there are some really, truly world-class researchers and scientists. In the kind of broader health area that we work in, there are a number of ways in which that manifests itself. Some of it is basic kind of um, research by scientists in labs looking at diseases, developing new drugs and new medicines area. Then we have the whole efforts that China makes to build its own health system, and what can be learnt from those as much from a policy and implementation. We're increasingly seeing China playing a role and exploring a role in its engagement with Africa, both in its how-to side, but also medical products and medicines. And this kind of taps into China's research and development, but also the manufacturing capacity here, producing for the African market with some products which may be less attractive for established Western pharmaceutical firms, for example, to, mm. to, to manufacture for Africa. I mean, another another final area, I should say, when you're talking about China's research, development and expertise is, of course, increasingly when the World Health Organization has a whole range of global committees and advisory groups who advise on global guidelines with the best evidence and knowledge and of course there's a large number of Chinese scientists who who sit on and contribute their research to those bodies Mm. at a global level. Um, There's a huge potential and it's a potential that China is already tapping into and acting on and and in fact when our um, Director General Margaret Chan visited Beijing back in July In this room, she held a meeting with some of China's leading researchers and scientists to discuss actually precisely how China has uh, some value and and comparative advantage and how they can um, get the most out of that for the benefit of global health. Mm. The issue of antimicrobial resistance is a huge global problem. It is an issue where China could play a huge, Mm. huge role. Basically, antibiotics and other antimicrobials, so antivirals and others, that um, what they are designed to combat is becoming increasingly resistant. And so we find that they become less and less effective. And so we have to look to a second or third line and sometimes more expensive and less effective drugs and, and, and antibiotics. It's a global challenge. China just recently launched a new national action plan on antimicrobial resistance from 2016 to 2020, which is a great step forward and a great move for for China and also a good example for other countries to look at. That national action plan brought together a large number, I think it was 16 different government ministries and departments, and not just health, which is obviously one of the main ones, and also agriculture, which is another area where large amounts of antibiotics are used, sometimes unnecessarily. But it also brought in science and technology and research and development as well. Because if we are to prepare for a future world where our health care systems can keep functioning with antibiotics and other antimicrobials, there's a kind of double research and development Challenge One is to identify the future pipeline of antibiotics so that we get new ones online as the current ones we have in the future go offline and are no longer effective. Mm. The second research and development challenge is to develop new diagnostic tools so that, for example, if somebody needs antibiotics, we can more quickly understand precisely which antibiotic rather than having to prescribe a wide range which then can result in in greater resistance. Those are are, are two great challenges and and China's research and development community has the potential to contribute to those globally. I think the Chinese government would like to see them doing that and, and from a World Health Organization perspective we're encouraging researchers all around the world who have potential to focus on that. And of course, Tradition, you know, the most commonly used drug to treat malaria came from a traditional Chinese medicine Mm. and is now used as a combination therapy. The potential and the history is there from China. The question now, and hopefully this new National Action Plan will do it, it will be to make sure there are resources available to unleash that potential.
0: That's Martin Taylor, team leader for health systems and health security at the World Health Organization based in Beijing. And you've been listening to Asia Rising, If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it in iTunes or SoundCloud. Please leave a review and tell your friends about it. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.